amazing opportunity to go and just show the love of Jesus and uh, splash real strong. Uh, flowers are uh, in celebration of Joe Fortune's life. We had a, a celebration of his life yesterday. Keep praying for uh, Joe's wife, uh, Joyce, who's with us, and keep loving on her good. We're going to start with uh, a group game. I'm going to call the group game um, Obedience or Disobedience. You up to it? Okay. Here we go. I'm, I'm going to give you a situation, and I'm going to, uh, then I'll say obedience or disobedience, and then if you think it's obedience, holler out obedience. If you think it's disobedience, uh, obviously holler out disobedience, okay? Here we go. Uh, a mother asks her teenage son to put away the ice cream that he's left on the kitchen table. Uh, he remembers the next morning and puts it away. Obedience or disobedience? Someone is scared of this answer. <laughs> yes, yes. A little scary, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, a father asks his teenage daughter to make sure the windows on the car are rolled up. Weather report says rain. She remembers to roll them up after the rainstorm. Obedience or disobedience? Okay. Mother of a 10-year-old child reminds her child to stop and look both ways before you cross the street. The child remembers mother's advice when he's right in the middle of the street. And then he stops and looks both ways. Obedience or disobedience? Okay, final one. This one might be the hardest one. The Lord clearly whispers to a follower of Jesus, you are to go on a missions trip. And for 10 years, the follower of Jesus ignores the whisper until finally after 10 years, signs up and goes on a missions trip. Obedience or disobedience? I'm hearing a little bit of both. Yeah, okay. Uh, here's the point that I'm trying to uh, lay out. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Okay, if you're prone to sleep, that's your, that's your main point. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Uh, here's what Thomas Akempis put it. Instant obedience is really the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Want to say it with me? Come on. No, put it back there. Yeah, let's read this together. Yeah. Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Why? Delayed obedience is? It's really true. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said a little differently. Uh, faith creates a prompt obedience. If you're truly trusting and following and uh, uh, ready to respond to whatever the Lord tells you, of course it's going to be a swift and a prompt obedience. Okay? Uh, Here's how the New Testament writer James puts it. James 4, uh, verse 17. Uh, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Want to say that with me? Remember, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So uh, if you know what the Lord is saying and you refuse to do it right away, that's sin. Why does that matter? Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. Because in Genesis 31 and verse 13, 
the Lord clearly commands Jacob, Hey, Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel. You remember when Matt was drawing the, the picture of the angels and Jesus on the ladder, and uh, Jacob has his very first encounter with the Lord, and, and the Lord appears to him and says, Hey, I'm going to be with you. I, I'm going to uh, watch over you and protect you, and I'm going to bless you. Uh, that was in Genesis 28. But in verse 13, he says, go to Bethel. So uh, now it's time for Jacob to leave. He's been at his uncle Laban's house. Anybody remember how long? 20 years. And uh, now he's ready to go, but he doesn't say goodbye to Laban because he's pretty sure Laban's going to say you can't go. So he just runs out in the middle of the night. Laban is furious, uh, but the Lord speaks to Laban. 31:24 says, don't harm Jacob. I know you want to harm him. I know you want to punch him. Uh, some commentators suggest he wanted to kill his son-in-law, but he says don't harm him, and he doesn't. Okay? Uh, on his way back home, Pastor Jason talked about this wrestling match that uh, Jacob had with the Lord. Remember that? And Jacob finally yields and surrenders to the Lord, and he walks away with a limp because the Lord touches his hip. And for the rest of his life, that limp reminded him, oh yeah, I'm yielded and I'm surrendered to the Lord. Now last week, chapter 33, uh, we saw that Jacob has this encounter with his brother Esau. Now why was that a problem? Anybody remember? Because he was pretty sure that his brother Esau was going to kill him. Pretty sure. And then when he shows up with 400 of his biggest and brightest and bravest men, he, he was sure, yep, exactly what I thought. He's going to come and he's going to slaughter me. He's going to slaughter my wives and my children. And instead, the Lord melts Jacob, uh, Esau's heart. What does he do instead? Remember? Hugs him, kisses him, greets him warmly. It, it's amazing. It really is. Now we're going to begin today with the very last three verses of Genesis chapter 33. Now, they seem kind of ordinary. Uh, I know we're going to uh, start with verse 18 and down through verse 20, but I want you to understand what we're about to read is delayed obedience. Delayed obedience. And we said delayed obedience is really what? Okay, so what you're about to read, it, it seems ordinary, but it's disobedience. Would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to read out loud just the last three verses, starting with verse 18 of Genesis chapter 33. Ready? This is God's word. Let's declare it together. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan, encamped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elhoi Israel. Nice job. Good reading. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for even what seem like ordinary verses. And I'm praying, Lord, that even today, right now, you'll show us why uh, these ordinary verses really are extraordinary in a very uh, sad way. 
Lord, uh, you're about to show us as we move into chapter 34 some really hard and difficult things to read about Jacob's family and Jacob's life. So, Lord, I just want to say thanks for not sugarcoating your book. Thanks for giving us even the ugly and uh, the hard side of life so we can grow and we can learn from what we read about today. Lord, I want to pray even right now, if there's anybody here who uh, is in delay mode and you've made yourself clear and they're delaying on acting what you've made clear, I I pray today that that would rise to the surface. Uh, We have an incredible capacity to push down and ignore and not think about stuff, but I'm praying that today you'd help us not be able push it away. Help us to see it clearly. Uh, Use these weak lips, Lord, to speak your your words today. We invite the third person of the Trinity to take charge in your church. Help us to tune into your channel this morning, Lord. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice. You may be seated. Genesis 31, verse 13. The Lord commands Jacob, go back to Bethel. I want you, I'm the God of Bethel. Now it's time to return to Bethel. But what you need to understand in those verses we just read, Jacob stops 30 miles short. Shechem is about 30 miles away from uh, Bethel, uh, and he doesn't stop at the Holiday Inn Express in Shechem for the night. Uh, he buys property. You understand? He, he buys property, he settles in, and he even, this is, this is kind of interesting, look at verse 20, chapter 33, he even builds an altar. It's like, uh, Lord, I just want you to know, I, I know I stopped short, but I, I want you to know I, I'm still your man here, okay? I haven't forgotten about you, Jehovah. Uh, I'm still going to church, I'm still uh, praying, I'm still reading my Bible, I'm just not quite ready yet to fully obey. But, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Uh, I, I, I know I should go, but you need to know, Lord, the tension of moving has really stressed me out. Uh, I nearly got killed by my father-in-law. If you hadn't stepped in, I would have been a dead man. Uh, I was wrestling with you, and Lord, you really did a number on my hip. You know, so I need to rest here and check them for a little while and let my hip rest up a little bit and get better. Um, And then the stress of seeing Esau and I thought I was going to die. I'm tired, Lord. Uh, You know, I'll obey in a little while after things settle down. Just need to get rested, need to get recharged. Then I'll obey. So here's the setting. Jacob buys some land outside, it says within sight. They can see the city of Shechem, the pagan city of Shechem from their campsite. Okay? And watch what happens next. Jacob is relaxing. He's recharging. He's uh, getting his head back in the game. And uh, you need to be warned. Okay, you ready? Parents, look at me right now. Chapter 34 is PG-13. So uh, if I, through working through chapter 34, provoke some questions from your children, um, 
Just be prepared, okay? Ready? Uh, got lots of words the Dan's going to put up here. This is kind of just represents uh, Genesis chapter 34. Here we go. Verse 1, PG 13, there's the warning. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. I think it was pretty innocent. I, I want to go this, I've never been uh, to this, this city before. I've never been outside our little area there. Now we're moving, and, and I just want to go look around a little bit, talk to some of the women. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, I think he was like the mayor of Shechem, saw her, uh, here's what the son does. He took Dinah and he raped her. And then weird stuff starts happening. Okay, Verse 3, but his heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, after he raped her. Uh, he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, uh, get this girl as my wife. Almost like she's uh, a pair of shoes at Payless. Get her uh, for me. I want, you know. Uh, when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field. They were getting settled, you know. They just arrived, and I'm probably building some pens with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until the sons came back home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields. As soon as they heard what had happened, they were shocked. They were furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Now, let's talk about what we just read. Uh, Jacob's daughter, his little girl, without instruction, without protection, think with me now, she doesn't have a clue. She, she's been living far away in a distant land uh, with lots of flocks, probably out in the middle of nowhere, it seems, and now she's in this pagan city without any instructions, without any protection, and the captain of the football team spots her. Got it? He's, he's the favored son. He's, he's the, the most loved and respected child in all of Shechem. Why? Because the mayor, the ruler of Shechem, that's his dad. Uh, matter of fact, they even named the son after the town. Did you notice that? Uh, so he saw something he liked, and he said, I want that, and he took it for himself. It seems that that was the kind of life that Shechem lived. Whatever he wanted, he got. Whatever he desired, he took. He saw Dinah, Jacob's daughter, he liked her, and then he forcibly had sexual relationship with her. Um, verse 3, uh, again, that's where it gets a little strange. He claims he's in love. Verse 4, he tells his father, uh, I want her. Uh, I want her for my wife, Ugg. Uh, it, it's like she's a flavor of ice cream at Kilwins, and I want uh, Superman ice cream. Get it for me, Dad. So Dad springs into action. Verse 5, um, curiously, Jacob hears about the rape of his daughter, 
and does what? Nothing. I'll wait for sons to get home. Figure this out in a little while. Verse 6, Shechem's father, uh, Hamor, the ruler, the mayor of the town comes and he's going to negotiate on behalf of his sons. Uh, Verse 7, Dinah's brothers arrive and they can't believe what's happening. Uh, They've just arrived near this town and now look what happens. And dad, you're doing nothing. And I think they're furious because their father Jacob has done nothing about this outrageous and awful action. Verses 8 to 12, Hamor, the mayor, goes into negotiating mode. I'm pretty sure he was a politician, okay? Because he's instantly, my son's a really good kid, and he's going to make a really great son-in-law, and you're really going to like him a lot, and your daughter Dinah, in time, she'll get over that you know, misfortunate little thing that happened episode. Uh, But he's going to be a great son. And look what he says, verses 8 to 12. This is a great opportunity because I see business opportunities and and you and us, we can go into business together and we'll marry your daughters and your granddaughters and you can marry our daughters and our granddaughters of Canaan and we're just going to be one big happy family. That's the mayor. And he's negotiating, and uh, he's uh, doing what he can to make the best of a really bad situation. Then he says, uh, you name the price. Name the price. Let me find favor. Look at verse 12. Make the price for the bride, whatever it is, uh, make it outrageous. I don't care. Just make sure that you give Dinah to my son as his wife, whatever it takes. And then the brothers huddle up to discuss the situation. And here's what's kind of cool. The writer of Genesis, Moses, um, it's like he says, I want you to hear what the brothers said while they huddle up. Uh, Verse 13, here we go. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to uh, an uncircumcised pagan. That would be a disgrace to us. We'll enter into an agreement with you on only one condition, that you become like us (laughs) by circumcising all your males. Then we'll give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves because then we'll all be circumcised, the sign of the covenant. We'll all be followers of Jehovah. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, no deal. Uh, We'll not allow our sister to get married to Shechem. Key word, verse 13, deceitfully. They spoke to Shechem and Hamor deceitfully. They had a plan, and it was a bloody evil plan. A bloody evil plan. It really was. Um, So, verses 18 to 24, um, the king of the homecoming court, the most honored son, and his father, the mayor, they're going to go into full court press, and they're going to talk to all the men of Shechem. Okay? 
Um, and just put yourself there. Now, now here's, here's they come, and they're going to try to sell all the males on the deal. Uh, hey, guys, there's this amazing family that just moved in outside the city, and their daughters are beautiful, and their flocks, wow, we've never seen flocks and herds like they have. They're the best. And all we have to do in order to bring them fully into the city and to be able to have our children marry their children and our grandchildren marry their grandchildren, all you got to do is have this little bitty surgery, guys. Um, uh, It's going to put you out of commission for a couple weeks, and I know it's not going to be fun for a little while, but it's going to be so worth it. It's going to be so worth it. I'm just picturing myself back there, you know. Okay, Mayor, I voted for you, but no, we're not going along with that. No, no, I'm not doing surgery for a deal. But um, this is amazing. Look at verse 24. It really is. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Uh, I have three thoughts. Number one, these guys must have been really well-liked and well-respected. I mean, wow. Uh, Second thought, these guys must have been amazing salesmen. They were like dripping with schmooze. I mean, they they were able to schmooze, and they were able to sweet talk, and somehow they got every man in the city to go along with this little bitty surgery. Uh, And my final thought is, they must have had a lot of power and influence. Because I think it was more than just they were liked. I think it was more than they were just great salesmen. I I, I think there was some intimidation. And there was some power and influence that was leveraged that uh, caused these men to actually go along. So now the full deception of Jacob's sons is on full display. Look at verse 25. Uh, Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, and it seems that they led the charge, but you'll see in a bit the other brothers uh, were a part of it. Uh, Dinah's brothers, they went into the city of Shechem, took their swords And they attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They even put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and uh, took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. Apparently he had already grabbed her and had her waiting for uh, official uh, spouse time. The sons of Jacob, that's the other brothers, came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks, they seized their herds and the donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. So they they took away everything. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and all their children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Did you catch the plan? Okay, Let, let, let uh, let me get a little more clear here. While all the men of the city were still in so much pain, they couldn't get off their beds. Kraken? They, they, were, they were still so sore that they couldn't move. 
they were probably avoiding as much as they could walking or crawling, certainly couldn't run while they were incapacitated. And that was the plan, verse 13, deceitful plan all along. They were going to come into the city, brothers number two and three, Simeon and Levi led the charge. They kill every man in the city. Uh, they kill the mayor. They want to kill the wannabe brother-in-law. They kill all the men. They loot all the valuables. They take the women and the children. Just give me your eyes. I, I don't want to, we don't want to move too... What they did was deceitful and evil and sinful and awful. So don't... Don't think, well, well, their sister got raped. Therefore, no, no, there, there's, there's no correlation there. No, no, what they did was awful. It was an atrocity, we would say. Okay? Note how Jacob reacts to the butchery of his sons. This, this is, again, verse 30, uh, written down. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you awful sons, you are evil, you are murderous, you are deceptive. God is going to judge you. Is that what he says? Verse 30? <laughs> Unbelievable. Jacob says, you've brought trouble on me. <laughs> you've, you've made my life complicated and miserable. Thanks a lot, boys. Thank, he, he's not worried. He's not even thinking about the thousands, perhaps, that were butchered, he's worried about who? Who's Jacob worried about? Point to where he... Thanks a lot. <laughs> you, you've brought me great trouble. Thanks. Thanks, sons. Thanks. And they respond to their father. Uh, verse 31, Should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? They got what they deserved, Dad, and you were doing zip. Nothing, nothing. They're treating our sister like a prostitute. They got exactly what they deserved. So, Jacob stopped 30 miles short of obedience. Jacob stopped from fully obeying what clearly the Lord wanted him to do. And now he realizes, I'm in deep trouble. Because the neighbors, the other cities, uh, the other tribes around here, they're going to come on the attack now. What do I do now? Lord, I'm in trouble now. Finally, his eyes are opened, and he realizes, this is bad. This is really, really bad. What should I do now? Look at chapter 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. <laughs> That's what I told you to do back in 31.13. That's what I told you to do. That's what you should have done all along. And finally, Jacob obeys. <laughs> and he's going to fully obey now. He's going to go all the way with disobedience. So now, okay, you're right. I should have gone, shouldn't have stopped, shouldn't have bought land, shouldn't have settled in, should have went the extra 30 miles, but now I'm ready to obey. Verse 2, uh, so Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you've have with you. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Outward symbol of what's happening now on the inside. We're going to do it God's way. Then come, let's go up to Bethel. I'm going to build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress, who's been with me wherever I go. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had 
the rings in their ears, I don't think that's an indictment of pierced ears. I think that's an indictment of symbols of the pagan uh, gods that they were worshiping. Uh, and Jacob buried them under the oak where? We're not taking that stuff with us to Bethel. We're not even going to take it and bury it in Bethel. We're going to bury it right here. Then they sent out, and uh, the terror of God fell on the towns. God protects them. Nobody chased them. And Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed to himself when he was fleeing from his brother. Finally, <laughs> Jacob's ready to clean up his act and ready to clean up the family's act. He's going to get serious and follow the Lord. And finally, he's going to go the final 30 miles to Bethel and he's going to fully obey. Just pause for a moment. Um, what consequences did delayed obedience bring upon Jacob? Okay, think with me now. By stopping and not fully obeying and delaying obedience, first of all, his daughter Dinah was raped and scarred for life. Secondly, his sons became murderers, butchers of an entire town. And they would be scarred in a different way for life. And a lot of innocent people lost their lives. Uh, lots of husbands and sons and fathers and lots of women uh, were put in an awful situation because of delayed obedience. The reputation of Jehovah God was dragged through the blood of that city. Oh, that's what God's chosen people behave like. And finally, Jacob's life was once again thrown into chaos. Jacob's life was a mess one more time. So here's, here's my question as we close. What might the Lord have been asking you? You know he made it clear, and it's obvious, and you heard from him. What is it perhaps the Lord has said to you that you've been holding back full obedience on? Could, could it be that what Jacob did, stopping short, 30 miles short of obedience, is something that, honestly, you've done yourself? And, and, and it may be um, that the Lord's made it clear it's time for you to clear the, the pagan influences in your home, and you've been dragging your feet. What's a pagan? Anything that's anti-Jesus and anti-God's word is stuff that I would say needs to be cleared out of your house. And maybe the Lord's saying, you know what, there's some pagan stuff, so, some idol-like things that drags people in your family away from Jesus and away from God's word, and you've been dragging your feet. Maybe there's an area where the Lord has said, you know what, your child, this child, is in trouble. Or this grandchild is heading down a really bad road, and I want you to act. I want you to not just ignore it and not just delay, but it's time to act. And you've been saying, you know, uh, let's, let's wait and see if it gets worse. 
let, let, let's see uh, if a little time passes. Maybe, maybe it'll get better. Maybe there's an area here in, in the kingdom or in the church, the Lord's saying, you know what, it's time for you to serve. It's time for you to get in the game and start serving. And you're saying, Lord, it's not a convenient time because I'm really busy right now. And uh, maybe later, maybe when I get rested up, maybe when things calm down, uh, maybe in a year or two or five, then I'll, I'll obey, but not right now. I'm just telling you, it's so tempting to justify why I, I just can't obey fully right now, Lord. Maybe the Lord's whispering for you to give sacrificially to his kingdom in some way. And I don't know, even know what that might mean other than you've been explaining why this isn't a good time, Lord. I, I know you're calling me to sacrificially give in this way, but, you know, maybe tax time next year. Maybe down the road when, when things are looking a little better. Maybe there's an entangling sin. And the Lord's been asking you to get rid of that pet sin for a long time. And you've just stopped short. You said, you know, I'll get rid of everything else, but I just can't kill that pet sin. I'm just not quite ready. I want to remind you what James 4 and verse 12 says. It, it's, it, it's really strong. Uh, for those who know what you should be doing and you don't do it, Dan, you want to put that up? James 4, 17. Um, if you know what the Lord is saying for you to do and you don't do it, what is that? It's sin. Okay? When you stop short of full obedience, that's sin. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And I get it. I really do. To fully obey sometimes is inconvenient. To fully obey is really hard. I understand. But can I just say this to you real clear? You ready? But to disobey is even harder long term. And the consequences are massive. We just saw that. So, so it's hard and it's inconvenient. And the Lord's saying, yeah, I, I know. That's why I'm asking you. You're going to grow through this. But when we disobey and we delay obedience, the price is huge. Here's what the Lord's asking of all of us. Here's the attitude. It's uh, Isaiah 6 and verse 8. Um, and I heard God ask, who am I going to send? Who, who's going to do what I'm asking them to do? And here's what Isaiah said. Lord, here am I. What does he say? Send me. Count, count on me. Whatever you make clear, I'm in. Uh, and, and I don't know what the Lord's making clear to you, but here's what he's looking for. Whatever you tell me, whatever the direction, I'm fully in. And I'm ready to fully obey. So where are you at today? Isaiah 6, whatever, Lord. Whatever. I'm in fully. Or you're holding back and delaying obedience. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Lord, uh, these uh, are hard verses to read. We just acknowledge that. And as we pause for these next few moments, Lord, we invite you right now to take your word and through the power of your spirit, would you speak real clear and loud to us? We're listening.
Back in the time of Jacob, the Lord, the Lord said it's, it's time for full obedience. 2016, he's still saying, you know what? It's time for full obedience. Enough delaying, enough excusing. Made some things clear to you. Might be hard, might be inconvenient, but it's time to go to Bethel. Anyone say, Lord, you're speaking, and you've made something very clear that you've told me to do, and I've been delaying. I've been holding back from uh, full obedience, and I've heard from you today, and I just want you to know, you're speaking, and I've heard you clearly. Anybody lift up your hand and say, Lord, you spoke. You spoke to me. You've made something clear. You've made something obvious. And I got lots of reasons and excuses why I'm not quite ready to do it. Stop 30 miles short, but Lord, you're, you're talking to me today. Anybody else? Anybody in the balcony? Lord, you're talking to me. Every time there's significant decisions made in Scripture, they're almost always public ones. It's so much easier if you can just do it just me and the Lord and no one has to know and it's just kind of a little private thing, but little private things are so easy to get out of because then no one knows. And no one will ask, and no one will pray, and no one will hold me accountable. If you're ready to go to Bethel, if you're ready to quit the excuses, if you're ready to go fully on the next 30 miles, I, I just invite you, if you'd like to uh, come on up here in front of Jesus and his church, and I know it's a hard thing. It's, Maybe even inconvenient for you to get down here. But uh, come on down. If, if the Lord's speaking and you're ready for full obedience, I'm just telling you, that also usually involves a public acknowledgement. Lord, this decision is significant, and this will be the, the little altar that you build down at the front of this church. So next two minutes, come on down. The Lord's talking to you. say here I'm, I am <laughs> send me whatever it is whatever it takes whatever you whisper count me in but you just can't move to that till you're ready to acknowledge the areas where you've been holding back delaying obedience okay we've we've got several folks up just publicly before the church and most significantly before Jesus himself. So uh, if, if you're a leader here at Walloon, community small group leader, board member, teacher, 
whatever the case might be. Would you come on up and surround these folks? And, and here's the question. What's the Lord talking to you about? Where have you delayed? And I want to pray for you right now. So come on, leaders. Inconvenient. It's a little hard. You've got to come now, and you need to talk and pray. And, but that's why we have church. You can't do this at home all by yourself. You can't do this out in the woods. We need the body of Christ. pretty miserable where you're sitting because you should be down here. It's not too late. You can come down here too. I suspect some of you are thinking, I really don't want to. Yeah, well, come on anyway. The Lord's nudging you, ready to go strong and all in, full obedience. Come on down. Right now, would you just pray for these folks? Ask for strength, God's holy determination that they can finish that final 30 miles, whatever it is. your heart. Lord, see my hand. See see my heart. I'm available. You whisper. You make yourself clear. Whatever it is, I'm in. Use me. Send me. Church at Walloon, I love you. You're the best. You're dismissed.